Hey everyone, welcome back to our Mark series and welcome to Term 3. How crazy is it that we are in Term 3 of 2020 already and over the next 10 weeks we are going to be finishing, finishing off our Mark series and um, today we are going to be starting from Mark chapter 7 verses 24 and we're going to go all the way to chapter 8 verse 21. It's a hefty chunk of scripture uh, but it has a lot of common themes and so we group this uh, together and I'm hoping that you're enjoying this series that is giving you a deeper appreciation uh, for the person of Jesus, uh, his teaching and his works and I'm hoping that it leads you to response which is what Mark seems to be a really heavy um, a, a, in a, in a, as a focus how are you responding to the revelation of Jesus well let's start reading Mark 7 verses 24 Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre he entered a house and did not want anyone to know it yet he could not keep his presence secret in fact as soon as she heard about him a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet the woman was a Greek born in Syrian Phoenicia she begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter first let all the let the children eat all they want he told her for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs Lord she replied even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs then he told her for such a reply you may go the demon has left your daughter she went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone as a quick recap uh, in mark chapter 6 jesus had been dishonored in his hometown john the baptist was beheaded beheaded and yet jesus had still sent out 12 um, and and also they fed 5,000 families and jesus walked on water we then had a section in uh, mark chapter 7 where jesus confronts the religious leaders and this time the confrontation is over what defiles a person. Does unwashed hands defile a person? And Jesus talked about, no, it's more about the heart condition. And so that section serves as a turning point in, um, in Jesus' ministry because we find Jesus now ministering to the Gentiles or non-Jewish people. Gentiles were seen as unclean people by the Jewish people. Remember we talked about the whole uh, going to the marketplace and needing to wash your hands after being in the marketplace. Part of it is because you were interacting with non-Jewish people, unclean people, and therefore their uh, defilement would then transfer to you. And uh, should you eat uh, without washing your hands, that would make you defiled as well. Uh, um, uh, the Gentiles were seen as outsiders and and Jewish people would push them out. Uh, this was part of the cultural understanding of the Jewish-Gentile divide. And yet, in this passage, we read that Jesus had now traveled to Tyre. And uh, as, as he travels to Tyre, we have to understand that Tyre is actually one of Israel's most hated enemies. In fact, the prophets often uh, in the Old Testament prophesied the downfall of Tyre because of the mistreatment of Israel. You can see this in Ezekiel chapters 27 to 28 or even Isaiah chapter 23. And it would seem that Mark used Jesus's teaching on what true uh, uncleanliness or what true, what true defilement is to help readers understand that being Gentile does not make you unclean. Jesus 
Jesus also had a mandate to reach the Gentile people, as we saw in the passage that I have just read. And so Jesus is here, and um, and 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 he, as he ministers, this woman comes to him, and um. So we need to understand it. For a Jewish mindset, this is a very confronting passage. Uh, we, we take for granted that as Christians living in Australia, that, that we are seen uh, as, as clean, I guess. Like we have accepted Jesus. We are accepted into the kingdom. Um, but, but for the Jewish mindset, for the reader, that this book of Mark was written to, this would have been confronting, it would have been confronting the mindset that only being Jewish would mean acceptance into the kingdom. And we take that for granted today, uh, but put on that, that mindset, that, that understanding that these people as they were approaching Jesus, this woman as she approached Jesus, she knows that she is an outsider. She knows that this Jewish man, this Jewish rabbi, should not be accepting her. In fact, the fact that Jesus was ministering in that region was highly confronting uh, uh, to them. And so this Gentile woman comes and begs for the healing of her daughter. Now this brings uh, shades of, remember Jairus bringing his petition for his daughter. Uh, I don't know uh, if, if this was uh, necessarily an intention, but it does seem to be a parallel story of two different people. One, a Jewish synagogue leader asking for the healing of his daughter. And now a Gentile woman coming, a Gentile woman whose name is not even mentioned, a unnamed Gentile woman asking for the healing of her daughter, how is Jesus going to respond? Well, very crudely, according to our modern understanding of Jesus's words, he basically calls her a dog. I'm not allowed to feed the dogs. That's what Jesus said without feeding the children first. Obviously, here, the children are meant to be the Jewish people, and so she is the dog. Now, we have to understand some cultural context to really unpack Jesus' words here and, and this incident that took place. You see, there wasn't necessarily a derogatory meaning for dog. Um, in those days, when you call a person a dog, it wasn't what it means today. In fact, in Israel scriptures, dogs uh, were used to describe both Israelites and Gentile people. Um, it, uh, for Exodus 4.22, Deuteronomy 32, 2 Kings 9 verse 10, we see references to Gentiles being described as dogs. And then in Isaiah 56.10-11, Jewish people being described as dogs. Now, the difference between the use of dogs for the Gentiles and the Jewish people is that the Jewish people are described as house dogs, whereas Gentiles are described as street dogs or wild dogs. Uh, it, it was to describe this sense of domestication being in the house versus being outside of the house. The wild dogs are the Gentiles, the house dogs are the Jewish people. And so when Jesus spoke of this woman, uh, spoke to this woman and said that he, he, he shouldn't be taking the children's bread and tossing it to the dogs, he was already giving her a hint that he wasn't treating her like a wild dog. He was treating her like a house dog. 
Now, I, I understand, when I, even while I'm saying these words, in my modern mindset, it's still quite hard to under, uh, see that this wasn't insulting. Uh, but what we need to understand is that this woman caught hold that Jesus wasn't calling her an outsider. She came to Jesus with this need, not knowing how this Jewish teacher, this Jewish healer, would treat her as an outsider. And the way that he responds is, yes, still giving Jews uh, the primary position as God's chosen people, but not treating her as an outsider. This would have been exciting for her. And she doesn't take offense. She doesn't push Jesus away and go, oh, fine, you don't want to help my daughter. In fact, she presses in and says her response showing great humility and a great desire to see Jesus' uh, healing take place in her daughter's life. And that is what she got. In, in fact, we see that Jesus says, because of your response, your daughter uh, is, is well for such a reply, for such faith. And this is something that I, I think that we need to understand. Sometimes with our understanding as insiders, our faith almost becomes a little bit cold. It becomes a little bit too easy. We become so familiar that God loves us and God will do things for us that we never truly activate our faith, our trust in God. Whereas when we approach, uh, when we see this woman approach as an outsider, we see a demonstration of faith. We see a demonstration of faith that moves Jesus to bring about a miraculous uh, uh, freedom for uh, her daughter. And, and this is something that we need to understand that our faith isn't about our rights. Our faith is always meant to be accompanied by a tenacity and a fight. And, and again, bringing back the thought uh, for us in Australia that it can seem that sometimes we have this birthright into Christianity. We have this birthright into God's miraculous provision, birthright into God's uh, unending and, and faithful love. But we also still need to activate a tenacious and, and a fighting faith. This woman realized that she was being given a foothold into the kingdom, access to the kingdom, which wasn't available for her previously. She responds humbly and she fights uh, uh, for, uh, to trust that Jesus will do something and she receives her miracle. I wonder what your life is going to look like when you start to activate a tenacious and a fighting faith. I wonder what my life will look like when I start to activate a, a, a greater degree of tenacity and fightingness, fighting, fighting, I don't perseverance, I guess, in our faith. And we see this time and time again. Faith has this tenacity. Faith has this perseverance. What are you believing for? How do you understand God's character? When God's character is being revealed, when Jesus is being revealed, uh, as we read through Mark, when there's something new or there's something fresh about who Jesus is and what he does is revealed to you, are you then grabbing a hold of it with a tenacious faith? That, I hope, is a response that we are going to have towards the word. Well, let's continue. Mark chapter 7, verses 31 to 37. Jesus continues to heal in these Gentile regions. 
Then Jesus left the vicinity of Ty and went through uh, uh, Sidon down to the, uh, the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. Remember the Decapolis, Jesus was chased out of the Decapolis because of the encounter with Legion. He had um, healed uh, this man who, who was possessed with a legion of demons. The legion of demons went into the pigs. The pigs jumped off the cliff, read it a few chapters ago. Well, Jesus was chased out and so he kind of takes a roundabout way back into the Decapolis. Obviously, Jesus still had a mission uh, for the people there. And that's very important for us to realize as Gentiles that Jesus had a mandate to reach Gentile people. Uh, reading on, there, there, there some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk. In some of the translations, he was deaf and he was mute. And they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, I'm going to butcher this, Ephatha, which means be open. At this, the man's ears were open, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well. They said he even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. There's a very different encounter to the one with the legion, uh, and, and they're very accepting uh, of Jesus this time round. And perhaps... Perhaps the man who, who was set free uh, from legion had actually really done the work of softening people's hearts towards Jesus. That is an amazing thing that this man who only had one small encounter could possibly have affected a whole region and allowed them to be soft towards the revelation of Jesus. Wow, what, what could your testimony do in, in, in your world, hey? That is such a great thought for you to think about. But, but I do want to come back to this whole healing because, again, it seems that Jesus was doing something quite offensive. Um, so, so this man who was deaf and mute comes, uh, comes to Jesus. The people brought him to Jesus. And, and note this, Jesus takes him aside. He doesn't want this to be a public spectacle. He wants this man uh, to, to have this healing as almost a private encounter. And, and he touches his ears, puts his fingers into the man's ears, and he spit on the man, and he touched the man's tongue. <laughs> this, this whole idea of spitting on a person is really offensive uh, but there's a cultural understanding that we need to have here you see in Hellenistic cultures or Greek cultures uh, where the, the, the capitalist was um, there's a clear record of, of, of spit being thought of as having spiritual cleansing properties in fact there are some notes that people when they made idols in order to open the idol's eyes they would put spit on the idol's eyes in order that the idol would then have their eyes open towards the people and be able to function as their God. Um, and, and, and so what we have here is Jesus having a clear understanding of the culture of the people that he was reaching out to. He, he was working with the culture in order to bring this understanding of, of what God wants to do in their lives. He, he, he brought something that obviously does not have any effect, but he brings it in because it's part of their understanding. This is what 
that there's something divine, there is something supernatural happening. And this is what Jesus was, was showing to this man. You are being divinely healed from your deafness and your muteness. When we want to reach our culture, when we want to reach people groups, we need to understand the backgrounds from which they come from. We need to uh, understand people. We need to, uh, a thought that I have recently is that we need to become students of, uh, of the human condition, being able to understand how people operate in order to effectively minister to them and to bring healing and to bring wholeness into their lives. Well, this man is healed and the crowds, this time from a Gentile region, they continued to gather and, and they were in amazement. Remember this whole idea of amazement. Amazement is one, is what amazement means that there is a response. Uh, they, they, they were responding to Jesus. They were open to Jesus, much like the Jewish, Jewish crowds. Uh, one little note is that there, there isn't anyone uh, holding back. There isn't any opposition from this crowd. The Jewish people, uh, the Gentile people, sorry, were really open to what Jesus was doing. Anyway, we move on uh, to Mark chapter 8, new chapter, verses 1 to 10. And it says this, During those days, another large crowd gathered, this time in the Gentile region. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me for three days and have had nothing to eat. Can you imagine the hunger of those Gentile crowds coming in, listening to Jesus teach for three days straight? Oh, this is a preacher's dream that people would just want to soak in the words of God and just be so hungry that they don't even have food to eat, but they are hanging off every word that is spoken. But Jesus says, I have compassion for these people. Uh, note that when, when the word compassion is used and saying someone has compassion, the only character in the Bible that has compassion is Jesus. It is the character of our Messiah. Uh, it is his heart towards people. Uh, they have already been with me three days and have had nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, But where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the ground to sit down on the ground. When taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people, and they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterwards, the, uh, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 people were present. After he had sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of Del Delmanutha. Sorry. Remember, this is a Gentile crowd. And remember, just a couple of chapters ago, we had a mass feeding of 5,000 Jewish people. Now we have a mass feeding of 4,000 people. Now, scholars talk about these feedings as Exodus-like because when um, the people of God were traveling in the wilderness and they did not have enough food, God provided for them. This miraculous provision was very Exodus-like. And... This is a very key point. God fed the Israelites miraculously in the Exodus and also with the 5,000. But now the Gentiles were observing and seeing uh, uh, um, and being a part of another miraculous feeding as well. God providing for His people. This is a very important note. 
and, and the, the, the similarities between the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000 uh, are quite astounding. Jesus first asked the disciples what they had and, and, and to feed the crowds. They respond, we don't have enough and, and how, this is going to cost us way too much. This is impossible. And, and it turns out they, have, they, they managed to scrounge up some loaves and some fish. Jesus thanks God for it, uh, breaks it, and they distribute it, and then there are leftovers. Very, very similar to the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus feeds both the Jewish and the Gentiles alike. This is God's heart for people, His compassion for people. Now, I just want to continue on because um, there's a few final notes that I want to make um, in Mark 8, 11 to 21. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, Why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them, got back into the boat and crossed to the other side. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for the one loaf they had in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, This is because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Remember, this is very uh, close to this whole, the soils, the issue of the soils. Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves by the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? The Pharisees, gosh, after all that Jesus had done, the healings that had taken place, the mass feedings that had taken place, all these miraculous signs that shows Jesus' divinity are still asking for a sign. They did not get Jesus' deity. And yet, the disciples in private with Jesus also demonstrate an inability to truly grasp Jesus' deity. They did not understand. And it, and it actually is quite a sad ending to this chapter because it actually, Mark actually leaves us with a cliffhanger. Jesus asked his disciples, do you still not understand? And there wasn't a response recorded. There wasn't a response recorded. It goes to, it goes to show, it goes to indicate that they probably still struggle to grasp the revelation. The Pharisees might demonstrate a hard soil that do not receive revelation at all. And um, the disciples possibly in this scenario show um, the soil that had thorns choking the seed. Their focus was on the temporary. They, they, all they thought about when Jesus was speaking to them, yes, in, in a bit of a parable form, but the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod, they, they immediately gravitated towards the temporary, towards the earthly. Uh, they, they did not consider that Jesus was trying to reveal to them a greater eternal truth. They thought that Jesus was caught up with the fact that they had no bread. And so Jesus goes on to teach them, Come on, I have shown you in the physical that the lack of provision is not an issue for me. 
I am more talking about something that you have to be responsible for, and that is your heart. Because the yeast of the Pharisees is the teaching of the Pharisees. We understand that from uh, the other gospel uh, when they record this, the other gospels when they record this event in in Matthew as well as in Luke. The gospel writers there explain that the yeast of the Pharisees is the teaching of the Pharisees. Jesus is able to teach. Jesus is able to provide. Jesus is able to do all of that. But we, as disciples, get to choose whether we are responding,、uh, what kind of teachings we are responding to. The disciples got a first-hand experience and a first-hand view of all that Jesus was doing, and yet Jesus still needed to warn them of the teaching of the Pharisees. And I believe that in today's day and age, we need to be wary of the yeast of the world. We need to be wary of the, what teachings we are consuming、uh, from our universities, from our schools. I'm not saying not to get an education, but what I'm saying is, how does that teaching stack up to the teachings of Jesus? Do you even know the teachings of Jesus in order to be able to be wary of the different viewpoints and the different ideas that you're holding in your heart? Jesus uses the analogy of yeast. Because yeast, in a very small portion, can, is what works through the whole dough and allows air to just puff up that dough. Even just a little tiny teaching that we allow into our heart from the world or from whatever other source can puff up and take place in our lives that stop us from receiving the revelation of Jesus. The same words that Jesus spoke to his disciples: "I leave with you. I leave with myself. Do you still not understand? After all that we've gone through, after all that we've been teaching, do we truly understand Jesus?" The Gentiles seem to receive Jesus with great open hands. The people of God who had this heritage, who had this long、uh, history of the of the law and the prophets, and and more of Jesus's ministry, did not understand. This is a bit of a warning. This is not a cuddly message. How do you understand Jesus? What kind of yeast are you allowing into your hearts? Or are you allowing the truth, the whole truth, of Jesus to enter into your heart? Remember that when we receive、uh, the seed from the true sower, when we receive the truth of Jesus, that's when we get to bear fruit. And that is my hope, and that's my prayer for each and every one of us that we are holding on to the truth of Jesus and allowing that to take root in our lives. Let me just pray, and we're going to finish off、uh, for the session. Dear Jesus, I, I pray that you examine our hearts. I pray that there will be a softness for every person watching this message. I pray that there will be a softness in their hearts to respond to you, to allow your truth to to really set in into our hearts, that we can truly be fruitful, that we can truly receive all that you have for us. I pray against the cares and the worries of this world. I, I pray against a hard heart. I, I pray against、uh, shallow soil. I pray for deep, good, rich soil that allows your truth to truly set root and to bring freedom and life into our lives. Thank you, Jesus. I pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. Get into your lift groups. There's going to be some great discussions for everyone.